First, a quick summary. The Taming of the Shrew opens not with the titular characters, but with a ragtag group of actors who have decided to put on a performance for a man named Christopher Sly, who has drunkenly staggered into their bar and passed out. The actual Taming of the Shrew is performed for Sly, although he is never actually mentioned afterwards, begging the question, was this even worth showing? The play takes off and shows the characters Lucentio, a young, handsome college student, and his sidekick lackey Tranio walking the streets of Padua and coming across Baptista, his two daughters Catherine and Bianca, and the two bachelors of Padua, Hortensia and Gremio, who are each trying to convince Baptista to let them marry his youngest daughter, Bianca. Baptista says he won't let the amiable and gorgeous Bianca be married off until his eldest daughter, Catherine, is married first. Neither of the men are willing to marry Catherine. She's notorious around Padua for being rigid and awful to be around. The men leave, and Lucentia laments to Tranio about how in love he is with Bianca, and how he must find a way to marry her before the two other men do. They hatch a plan and have Lucentio disguise himself as an old classics tutor for Bianca so he can get past her father and win her heart. Petruchio, a rugged veteran, rolls into town looking for a rich young woman that he can marry to acquire her family's wealth. Hortensio and Gremio convince him to marry Catherine in order to get her dowry and free up Bianca for marriage. The next scene opens with Catherine antagonizing Bianca and being violent towards her, followed by Petruchio coming to the house and asking Baptista for Catherine's hand in marriage. Baptista is shocked and confused at first, but quickly accepts against Kate's will. The following scene shows the disguised Lucentio tutoring Bianca, only to find that the suitor Hortensio has also disguised himself as a music's tutor. Bianca, while the perfect image of beauty and femininity for the time, isn't naive and catches on pretty quickly. She falls for Lucentio, the obvious choice seeing how old Gremio and Hortensio are, and they begin a secret romance. It is the wedding day of Kate and Petruchio, and Petruchio is late. He arrives looking rough and ungroomed for a wedding, riding off with Kate afterwards like she's his property. She is my goods, my chattels. She is my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, mine ass, mine anything. They arrive after a long and tumultuous journey at Petruchio's house outside of Padua. Petruchio teases Kate to the point of abuse, saying that the food prepared for her after the journey isn't fit for someone as doted on as her, taking it all away and leaving her starving. After getting news that Lucentio and Bianca are to be married, they head back to Padua, where Petruchio mentally manipulates Kate into agreeing to anything he says, even obviously false statements, such as it being nighttime when the sun is out and it's clearly day. After the wedding, all of the men sit around, including Hortensio, who has found himself another bride. The men wager over who has the most obedient wife, each of them calling on their wives to see if they will come to their attention. Hortensio's wife and Bianca ignore their husbands, and to the party's dismay, Catherine is attentive and comes to Petruchio's beck and call immediately. She then delivers a monologue about how women should be obedient to their husbands, showing that Petruchio has successfully... Tamed the Shrew. The sexist nature of this play is all too apparent. The emotional manipulation of Catherine by Petruchio is abusive, and some would remark even makes the play not worth reading, that we should cast it aside and let it be lost to time. Although the play is still present and relevant, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. Its adaptions and influences can still be seen in modern culture. In the 1940s, Cole Porter adapted the play into the musical Kiss Me Kate, which follows a group of actors performing a musical rendition of the play. A sizable amount of the actual show is taken directly from the original work, with the offstage characters' lives mimicking those of the characters onstage. I have with me two actors who have played Petruchio and Lucentio in a 2018 production of Kiss Me Kate to talk about their experience playing both these characters and their adaptive counterparts, as well as their view on the problematic nature of the play. Would each of you just say a little bit about what, role you played in the play and like what about the character that you particularly liked or that you found within the character 
I'm Matt. In Kiss Me Kate, I played uh, Bill Calhoun, who in The Taming of the Shrew plays Lucentio. Uh, I feel like it was kind of an interesting part to play uh, in compare in uh, alongside his love interest Lois, uh, because Bill Calhoun and Lois had an extremely dysfunctional relationship off stage, but it was kind of foiled by their on stage relationship that seemingly just doesn't have any flaws and is like the fairy tale ending kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of fun to play. And Lois Lane played Bianca. It's a great yes. one. I mean, it was true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This moment is a bit confusing because the actor who played Frederick Graham is also named Graham. They share the same name. So from this point on, this actor who's speaking, his name is Graham. I played Fred Graham in Kiss Me Kate, who in the adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew played Petruchio. And Fred Graham was interesting to play because while he was kind of a blowhard and he was kind of a chauvinist, uh, he was also very much guided by the love of his ex-wife, who in The Taming of the Shrew played Kate. So he had a bit of the bravado of an actor of his time, but he was also very romantic Mm -hmm. and very driven by finding the love that he had lost. Um, So one important aspect of the class, since it is themed around adaption, is trying to understand what an effective adaption is. And we've each kind of come up with our own interpretation of what defines an effective adaption. And for the most part, I define it as something that makes it more accessible to modern audiences, something that makes whatever the original work was, it's more easily and more readily consumed by people that consume media now. And it also takes a new creative liberty with it. So it adds a creative touch to it that wasn't in the original production. It adds the author or the adapter's original perspective. So that criteria being set, do you think that Kiss Me Kate is an effective adaption of The Taming of the Shrew? Yes. I would say that Kiss Me Kate, in the way that it is presented, it provides a good, a good amount of Shakespearean text Mm-hmm. in a an enjoyable because you know Shakespeare is not for everybody you know you're going to find mm-hmm. a good amount of people that will watch a full length Shakespeare play and not really get it kind mm-hmm. of be turned off by it so Kiss Me Kate can be a good you know gateway into Shakespearean text for people that might not necessarily get watching a full Shakespeare play it provides a good enough amount to mm-hmm be that vehicle to maybe encourage people to look deeper. And I would say that it's more accessible to its time as well, because I like, we're talking about a musical that was like the first ever Tony award winner. This is a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say like now it's more difficult to watch for a modern audience as a modern adaption of uh, taming of the shrew, just because there's so many aspects of it that are 40s or 50s or whenever it was made mm-hmm. you need to like i i when we were doing kiss me kate i feel like there was a lot of discussion at least among the cast members of making it more modern to, mm-hmm. uh, like so it'd be an adaption of adaption i suppose yeah because when taming of the true came out i mean that was Shakespeare was the readily accessible media from the modern people. I mean, right. you could, I forget how much, I think it was either like you had to pay like one pound or 
some really minuscule amount of money or no money at all just to be able to stand in the pit and watch the shows. And this was the, the, the best way to get this story to the audience. And it seems like Kiss Me Kate kind of did that same thing, but it adapted it for a mid-1900s American, primarily New York audience and putting it in a musical, which is this new American art form. But with Kiss Me Kate, I feel like the big, like between Taming of the Shrew and Kiss Me Kate, both of those time periods were at times of a large amount of misogyny. So, Mm -hmm. but now we've sort of had this social revolution in recent decades away from that. Whereas like the same sentiments towards women, although it was a lot better, obviously in the fifties than well, the 1600s, like we have taken a large paradigm shift very quickly to the point where, when we watch something like Taming of the Shrew, it's not as realistic anymore because mm-hmm. like if people acted like that today, like Fred Graham or something like that, or Patricio, yeah. like that, they'd be a, a white supremacist asshole. Like that'd be mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. They're misogynist and they'd be shunned by society. Whereas he's a pretty socially accepted guy for the things he's doing. How do you think the adaption handles the sexist themes of the original work? And I know we've already talked a lot about this, but what about this production in particular? Not just Kiss Me K, but also the one that you were in, either worsened or lessened the misogyny within the story. I will reference something that our director had said at the time, was that in the final number, Lily's final song, which is the adaptation of Kate's monologue, the way that our director had framed it and the way that he had presented it to us and shown it as... What it does for the story is that it is Lily's submission. So it, it, the way the song works is that it appears to be Kate's submission to her role as a woman. It is her submission to Truccio. However, at the end, it appears as if Lily is actually the one with the upper hand because she is submitting Now, there's a lot of debate that you can have as to whether or not that's actually effective or not. But I I do believe there was an effort to sort of frame it that way, whether or not it translated well or not. Mm -hmm. If I'm remembering this correctly, it was the director had, after Lily Vanessi as Kate, delivered Kate's final monologue of the show as a song. He, and if I'm remembering this blocking exactly, it was Frederick Graham, or Petruchio kneeled to Kate to show his own submission. And then, like, for some reason, Kate shared, like, a knowing, snarky glance with all the women on stage, like, aha, uh-huh, like, like, like a really girlish wink, like, yeah, right, ladies, we have the power. <laughs> like, yeah. it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was headed in the right direction, but it was way too much shtick to actually be as effective as it could. It was, it was in that moment that Fred Graham kneeled down and he put on his social justice warrior T-shirt and his pink pussy hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a costume change that came running out of it. I remember at the time he remarked when facing criticism that the show was sexist that by like, this scene was going to like fix it. Like he was like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. It's like that meme where it's like this single-handedly ended racism. <laughs> well, it was sort of like it was like, how can it be sexist if at the end of the play he kneels to her? Yeah, I think he said the real shrew is is, is Petruchio. 
He's like, yes. she <laughs> tames Petruchio by pretending to be submissive. And it was like, I don't, I don't think it is that. But <laughs> I guess that's just someone's interpretation. Why do you think this story is still told? Hmm. Well, truthfully, I believe that a big draw of Kiss Me Kate is Cole Porter's music. I think that, you know, and with any good, with any great musical like Kiss Me Kate, you have to look at the music that, that makes it up, what, what it's comprised of. And I think that Cole Porter's music is the biggest draw of Kiss Me Kate, even to this day. However, if you look at the story itself, for its time, which, you know, is never an excuse for misogyny or other things like that. But if you look at when Kiss Me Kate came out, and then that gives you a bit more of an understanding of why things happen in the story, at its core, it is a very a very nice story of love. And it has different angles. Um, it has comedy. There is a lot that Kiss Me Kate has to offer. Um, and if you if you sort of take its subject matter and its semi-dated book with a bit of a grain of salt, you can actually, you know, see why it has stood the test of time as a legendary musical. Well said. I agree with you full-heartedly. I mean, if it, the music was bad, it wouldn't be worth it. Right. That is just a really, like... That is just like a really misogynistic show about a lady you could spank, but you had to listen to really like shitty music for an hour. If this was a straight, if that was a straight play, it would be like like oh, average. <laughs> It'd be absolutely awful. But that's the thing is that Kiss Me Kate or uh, Taming of the Shrew is a straight play. Well, yeah, but I don't think anybody's contesting the fact that the Taming of the Shrew, written by William Shakespeare, is useless and irrelevant. I think in this time, it's a difficult play to put on without substantially changing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Much more so, I mean, there was the year, I believe it it was either 2018 or 2019 at the Tonys when the two big revivals were Kiss Me Kate and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma won full stop on uh, Best Revival by far because it made a lot more changes, a lot more uh adaptations to make it original in kiss me kate what matt is mentioning in this moment is daniel fish's 2018 production of oklahoma in which he used ableist conscious casting and a focus on realism in his directing to take a more progressive stance on the musical oklahoma by rogers and hammerstein as long as it's a, it's adapting the adaption it's using your ability as a director to make a conscious effort to be more progressive in your production i mean even think about like modern kiss me kate like the character the character harrison howell like he is the he is like the misogynist of the play like i mean in taming of the shrew it's petruchio but i mean he says like one of his lines is women should be beaten often like gongs or beaten into submission like gongs like that's horrific harrison howell is kind of the caricature He's a lot yeah. less complex than, say, Fred Graham. If you make the character comedic, deeply comedic, and outright satirical, then it has like a complete whole, like opposite effect on the play. It's like the more sexist he is, the least, the less sexist the play becomes because it becomes a commentary on the people in the world that are like that. 
I think that is a very good point where that just because <clears throat> Kiss Me Kate has some subject matter that is a bit um, controversial or um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It has some subject matter that can raise a few eyebrows and is not necessarily... Oh, it's, pr- it's problematic. It's problematic. That's, that's the word yeah. I was looking for. Just because Kiss Me Kate has some subject matter that is problematic, um, I don't believe that it should be warrant for it to be not performed anywhere. Because if you look at something like, say, Rodgers and Hammerstein are widely considered the, you know, somewhat of the William Shakespeare of musical theater with the pieces that they made at the time that they were made and the things that they talked about. South Pacific, it touches base on racism. Uh, Carousel, you know, Billy Bigelow beats his wife. Now, these are all horrible things, but if we don't talk about them and if we don't acknowledge them, then we're never really going to be able to overcome them. And that's why something like Kiss Me Kate, if you do it, you have to know what you're performing. You know, you have to know the subject matter and the things that, and the way that you have to handle it. And if you handle it well, then it can be a learning experience too. Graham's comments about how Kiss Me Kate handled adapting Kate's subservient and misogynistic monologue into a borderline satirical or snarky song had me thinking about another Taming of the Shrew adaption from the 1990s, Gil Junger's 10 Things I Hate About You. The film adapts the story by setting it in a late 90s high school. The adaption also stays truer to the plot of the original work, with parts of the Taming of the Shrew, like the character Tranio or Lucentio's tutoring that were lost in Kiss Me Kate, being kept in 10 Things I Hate About You. The film is named after its interpretation of Kate's final monologue, making it a poem she reads in front of her English class after she found out that her version of Petruchio originally only started dating her after getting paid by Bianca's suitors. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. What makes this interpretation so relevant is that it still shows the vulnerability that Kate has developed by being with Petruchio, but it doesn't diminish her femininity. It isn't sexist and demeaning and still manages to show how her relationship with Petruchio has tamed her, softening her from unapproachable and malicious to someone who was vulnerable enough to give a poem in front of her class and just start to cry over it. Both Kates have changed into a softened version of themselves, but this Kate has done so not because of abuse and manipulation, because of love and generosity from Petruchio. The film has effectively adapted one of the most sexist parts of the play and is something heartfelt and far from misogynistic, all while still providing its role in the plot as, as the moment when the audience sees that personality shift in Kate. Matt said it best. I don't think anybody is contesting the fact that The Taming of the Shrew, written by William Shakespeare, is useless and irrelevant. While full of sexist language and characters, the play is too important to modern culture into the world of literature to be cast aside. If the world of literary criticism starts picking apart the canon and throwing out anything that puts up any red flags, it eventually run empty. 
Graham's comment about the music in Kiss Me Kate making the content redeemable can also be applied to Shakespeare's language. His unique and meticulous crafting of the language of his plays is like a composer writing their score. Phrases play so effectively and with so much attention to not only detail, but also the themes, motifs, characterizations, and plot of the work overall. If the play's language was bad, much like if Kiss Me Kate's music was bad, then the world would have no issue letting the work fall out into oblivion. But that's just not the case. Shakespeare is taught and emphasized ad nauseum because he really is that profound of a writer, and throwing away one of his most brilliant comedies is, dis is a disservice to the literary world. By adapting it, one can see how relevant it really is. Each of these adaptions, while some more than others, point fingers at the play's sexism and make an effort to counteract it. The sexism in the play isn't fixed by ignoring it and proclaiming its perceived lack of worth, but by adapting it and adding that creative and modernizing element of all effective adaptions in an effort to fix the issues that have been presented over time and getting back to what makes the work worth reading.